0: Welcome to The Kaleidoscope with Alison Keyes. This is a podcast from CBS News and I am your host. The show is a breakout from the CBS News Weekend Roundup and every week we discuss issues including income inequality, disability and race. The Associated Press has published an investigation of the use of police force against children, finding that kids as young as six have been treated harshly by officers. It used data from Accountable Now, an initiative of the Leadership Conference Education Fund, a civil and human rights coalition. The database includes incidents from 25 police departments in 17 states. The article included specific instances of police confronting children, as in this Chicago Police Department body cam video taken on April 25th, 2019, when officers stormed into the home of Crystal Archie looking for drugs. Archie's children, ages 7, 11, and fourteen, were at home alone.
1: Oh,
0: come on, Uncle Chess, like, please do not shoot me. You're fine, No drugs were found, and it was the second time in eleven weeks police had kicked open the front door.
1: Did y'all just break that door again? Yeah. So oh, this happened before, right?
0: We asked Director Kristen Henning of the Juvenile Justice Clinic and Initiative at Georgetown Law School and author of the book, The Rage of Innocence, how often police use force against children. That conversation after this short break.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Oh, it is definitely much more common than folks think it is. Um, And getting right down to it, uh, that article really draws out the ways in which Black children, in particular and Latinx children, are disproportionately the victim of these police encounters um, and police violence. I mean, it is shocking, you know, not shocking that it's happening, but it just, it should shock the conscience of all of us that um, we need any level of force against young people. And I have to say, I mean, I would go further than that and say it should shock the conscience that there's there's any contact at all between police officers and children as young as eight and nine and 10 years old. It's just nonsense. I mean, we can't, you know, police our way out of childhood or police our way out of adolescence. And so many of the young people that are in contact with the police really are engaged in normal adolescent or childhood behaviors. Um, And the other thing that the AP article shows is that many of the children who were victims of of violence or force with um, with the police weren't doing anything at all. Um, The opening story in that Associated Press article was about Royal Smart is an eight year old who happened to be at home when the police officers were executing a search warrant for weapons, um, none of which were found, by the way, and they took him out in handcuffs into the cold and let him stand there for 30 minutes. It's just no justification whatsoever
0: for putting a child at eight years old in handcuffs. Okay, I'm going to come back to the racial piece, better believe it. But first, let me ask you, what are some of the ways a police have interacted with children? I mean, I've seen obviously, firearms pointed at them, but they also have people kneeling on their necks and backs like George Floyd. Oh.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, the list is just unbelievable. Um, tasers, right? Using a taser on a child, using pepper stray, call, calling uh, canine dogs to chase after a child, you know, who's running away from the police, using, using uh, choke chokeholds, using uh, body slam procedures. Um, I even was, was doing some work in uh, talking to some reporters in Portsmouth. Um, Portsmouth, um, Virginia, and they were talking about children being hogtied, meaning their hands and their ankles were bound together behind their backs. These are children. Um, It's just unbelievable. So it's much more pervasive uh, than we think it is. We hear about the shootings um, of of the kids, but it's much more the types of violence that are being used against um, children is just appalling.
0: And this leaves children traumatized often. The young man we were talking about, his name is Royal Smart out of Chicago. He talks about how he can't go to sleep. He keeps thinking about the police coming. Have you run into that kind of thing with some of the other children that you've dealt with?
1: Unequivocally. And in fact, I have an entire chapter in my book on the rage of innocence devoted to policing as trauma. There is a growing body of research demonstrating the enormous psychological uh, trauma that policing imposes on adolescents. And so Royal Smart Story absolutely resonates not only with what my clients have told me after representing kids for 25 years in the nation's capital. I hear these stories all the time. I hear about my clients having insomnia or waking up at all hours of the night from stress and anxiety. And there's research actually that backs that up, showing that um, uh, children who live in heavily surveilled neighborhoods who experience frequent stops and frisk or contact with the police uh, experience high rates of fear, anxiety, depression, um, hopelessness, uh, hyper- aggression or what they call it hyper arousal meaning that they're always on guard not trusting others Um, and so insomnia one of the research studies talked about young people in particular who have who live in these neighborhoods with heavy police presence having a really difficult time sleeping at night and we all know what that means I mean if you have a child you know that a child who didn't get a good night's sleep the night before then can't focus at school the next day uh doesn't have the sort of calm, emotional reserve to engage respectfully with teachers and other adults. So these children are just, um, you know, traumatized beyond belief. And in the Associated Press article and many other stories that we're seeing coming out are, you know, about children just crying hysterically, wetting their pants. Um, And, you know, in addition to just having nightmares and not being able to sleep.
0: Why is it that Black and Latino children are more likely to run into this treatment by police? I know that there is some research that basically says police react badly to these children, and therefore, as you just said, the kids react badly to police, so it's a vicious cycle.
1: Absolutely. So there is um, really research demonstrating that our perceptions of Black and brown youth are deeply colored by the long history of racial bias in this country. And as a result of those biases, we have deeply embedded fears about black children. So there are several things to remember. One is that the research shows, wonderful research by Dr. Philip Atiba-Goff and his colleagues showing that people, both police and civilians, are more likely to believe or perceive that Black children are older than they actually are, and older by four and a half years. That's significant. There's other research demonstrating that um, all of us are more likely to perceive uh, innocuous facial expressions or innocuous behaviors by Black people, including children, as threatening or violent uh, when those same innocuous behaviors and facial expressions on white faces are considered innocent. Um, Also, there's really powerful research when we think about young people like Tamir Rice, um, who was shot in Cleveland, Ohio at the age of 12, that there's research showing that, um, that people Are more, including police, are more likely to mistake a baby's rattle, like a child as young as five years old, a black child as young as five years old holding a baby's rattle. They're more likely to misperceive that as a weapon or a gun. And so, you know, it's, it's our, our, our biases are deep. And I will say that they started quite intentionally. Right. So if we think back to the civil rights era with the killing, the lynching of Emmett Till, the only way those lynchers could justify that is to paint Emmett Till and other Black boys as a threat to whiteness and particularly a threat to white women. And so once you do that and you spin out that narrative, that narrative begins to live in the psyche, um, the American psyche about Black children.
0: But this does happen to white children as well, right? Right.
1: It does. And I'll say this, that what we are seeing across the country with the use of police violence against the use of force, period, against children is a lack of training, a fundamental lack of training in police departments um, on adolescent development on de-escalation strategies, because what do we know about kids? That they are emotional, they're reactive, they're fairness fanatics, they test limits, they push boundaries, and the adults have to be adults. And so, but police departments aren't learning, aren't being reminded of what it was like to be a teenager, and aren't given, being given the tools that they need to engage with young people. Also, we just don't have regulations. Um, and it's a shame that we should even need regulations, but we don't have regulations specifically on use of force against children. It should be prohibited. All of the you know, use of canines and tasers and pepper spray, all of that should be absolutely prohibited for young people and very few police departments have those types of regulations
0: but i've got to say over the last couple of years in washington d c in Chicago, there have been young people that have been accused of really serious crimes. There were those kids that um allegedly murdered the uber driver there was right. a there were thirteen year old kids in Chicago who killed somebody recently, so there are some kids one might argue, that are actually committing serious crimes. And sometimes could there be a need for excessive force and trying to catch them? If you've got a 12-year-old with a gun, pointing it at an officer, what's he supposed to do?
1: So so let me just start by saying it is really important that even when we have um, a, a temporary uptick t- in violent crime or, um, or, or, and it's really important not to make policy based on isolated high-profile incidents, okay, of violence. And that's what we did in the 90s when there was a temporary uptick in crack and and, um, and, and the violence associated with crack use. And we had some really bad draconian laws that made it easier to transfer children from juvenile court up to adult court, putting them in adult prisons. Um, And, you know, we saw the data. We know now that crime plummeted And yet we are stuck with these really draconian laws that treat children like adults and that are really punitive and are um, horrible to the well-being of young people and do nothing to improve public safety. So I want to start there. The second thing is we also have to remember that when we are developing policy and thinking about how to respond, that very few children, of any race, including Black children, engage in the type of violent offenses that we are, that you are talking about, rape, murder, um, uh, uh, serious assaultive behavior. And so we have to think about that as we make broader policy. So with regard to individual cases, right? So when there is a case of a young person who does something violent, well, guess what? White children have engaged in serious violent offenses as well, and we somehow managed to come up with a rehabilitative response, right? We somehow figure out how to bring, you know, Dylan Roof in, you know, stop by McDonald's and escort him, you know, to the police station so he can get a fair trial and due process as opposed to shooting and killing them. Um, and so that's really, we have to think about Black children as children and understand what the, you know, the with the girls who were in Washington, D.C., um, were responsible for the death of that Uber driver, understanding how tragic that was for the victim, but also understanding what some of the mitigating circumstances were in the lives of those two those two girls, and thinking about what rehabilitative responses we might have to them instead of thinking about them as little adults, little um, you know, violent, uh, uh, antisocial adults, which is so uh, contrary to the truth. So we just need to treat black children like children even when they do horrible things, because we figured out how to do that for white
0: kids. One last question. You were saying that this is a policy issue. So to solve this issue and to perhaps fix this disparity, what do you think police departments across the nation should be doing?
1: Well, at the outset, we really have to radically reduce the footprint of police officers in the lives of children, um, period. And especially black and Brown children. It's, it's, things like starting with Um, the police free schools movement, which is not as radical as people think it is. It simply means thinking in a more nuanced way about what do we really need police officers for? What are police officers best equipped to do? And then removing them from those activities where they're not needed and replacing them with mental, particularly in the school system, replacing uh, law enforcement with mental health providers. Um, With counselors with social workers, uh, increasing funding for social emotional learning, thinking about restorative justice, smaller class sizes, all of these things that have been demonstrated to improve uh, public safety. I also think in terms of uh, improving police relationships with young people. It's a comprehensive strategy of new regulations of training of accountability. for, you know, specifically as related to adolescent development, racial bias, de-escalation strategies, use of force procedures and limitations involving young people. So we have a long way to go, but there is a path forward if uh, police departments will just meaningfully invest in these alternatives, or I should say city leaders at the macro level think about reinvesting in uh, strategies that really work for young people.
0: That's Kristen Henning at the Juvenile Justice Clinic and Initiative. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Monday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News.